and welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, uh, as always, returning and burping into the microphone as always. <laughs> isn't you it? catch me at the wrong times. We set this up beforehand. Like, hey, you ready? Yeah. Yep. You got to work up this fucking <laughs> microphone Wait. fart. It's because we're drinking- uh, Mouth farts. Yeah, we're, we're drinking like, uh, soda water or whatever, and it just makes me burp constantly. TV static. Yeah. Spicy Sprite. Anyway, we were on part four of the Winter War series. Uh, so, previously pre- on pre- yeah, previously on the Winter War, a whole bunch of Soviets getting massacred with machine gun for weeks. Uh, when we left you last week, the Soviet military monster was busy destroying itself as quickly as it could, throwing itself against the Mannerheim line time and time again against and and failing. Like really, the only thing they discovered was an incredibly effective way to lower the population of the Soviet Union. They got something out of yeah. it. Yeah. Population control. <laughs> yeah. Finnish machine gun based population control. Now I also left you with the idea that the Finns were about to sally forth from the Mannerheim line and ravage the Red Army with a triumphant counterattack. While he would try to do that, uh it was actually the Finns' turn to become the donkeys of this war. Oh. Now uh it kinda should go Without explaining that's way easier to fight a defense for than actually like launch an offensive, it it's kind of easy to just sit in a trench and machine gun people. Uh, and it is significantly easier than um, coming up with uh, an offensive that is taking like every division of your army and attempting to maneuver it all at once. I don't think the Finns knew that. Um, also, it was really the only time they would try to do something like this because they realized, like, oh, that sucks. Because then, then it was the Soviets' turn to be like, we just got to sit here and shoot at them. Yeah. This is way easier than what we've been doing. <laughs> now, um, the constant stream of, of, of stories uh, of Finnish victories were sent back to the country's generals from the front line, and it kind of sent them into a state of euphoria and uh. invincibility. Like... Look how many people we're killing. We gotta be winning. They can't break the manor. I'm like, yeah, you've killed tens of thousands of Soviet soldiers, and that is laudable. But you've done virtually nothing to defeat their army. Like they're just replacing them constantly. They're like uh, the fat kids that try to beat the athletic kids at camp. I mean, all right, I need you to expand on that one. We all know that the fat kids will lose. I mean, not if you are. They're a solid defensive line. First yeah, of exactly. All. First if of they all, are, if they're playing defense, oh yeah, they're yeah. good. If they're going on the offense. Hey, every single one of those scampering athletic quarterbacks needs a giant dude wearing two knee braces at the age of 13 <laughs> to keep him safe. All right. <laughs> now, this, uh, they were sent into, you know, they, they thought that they could win this, which is insane. They were never going to win this war. Even like their best case scenario was we're going to lose a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's kind of dumb that they started to, they, they started to, do their own supply effectively, smell their own farts. That's awesome. Um, just touch themselves. <laughs> just Mannerheim frantically huffing his own shit gas out of his <laughs> fucking pantaloons. Now, uh, it should be remembered <laughs> I'm that. Imagine a brown bag. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Get the aid. That was a spicy one. Uh, it should be remembered that Finnish frontline soldiers had largely accomplished all of these victories without the intervention of general officers. Um, very few senior officers really had much to do with the defensive victories. Yes, there was counterattacks to push the uh, the Soviets out of positions, which they took. Sometimes the Soviets just left them. Um, but very rarely is there a general going, we should do this, and that contributing to the victory. Um, it 
and that includes Mannerheim. Uh, Mannerheim was doing other things that did contribute to the victory, um, but uh, they were largely not there. Um, it was small unit leaders um, and, uh, to a lesser extent, division commanders who kind of ran everything. And yeah. that even that is kind of iffy. Um, and, and remember, Mannerheim started off the war saying, the army will lose. <laughs> so, like... He didn't think that highly of the people. He's like, yes, we're doing so good. And they're like, man, fuck you. <laughs> I imagine all the victories. He's like, holy fuck, we're doing something. It's a dog when they catch the truck that they're chasing. He doesn't really know what to do. Um, now, the accolades for these finished victories should instead fall to the soldiers and low-level unit leaders. Um, and and mostly the common Finnish soldiers' refusal to budge when they're outnumbered by a factor of 100. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they did run, especially when they first saw tanks, but they quickly got over that. And they're like, no, we're not going to go anywhere now. We're good. It's cold. Yeah. <laughs> it's warmer in the trench, it turns out. Uh, but if generals exist uh, for any reason, it is to steal the glory of men who actually achieve things, uh, which brings us to the Finnish counterattack. Now, I, I, I should say when I say counterattack, I mean a large operation to take back the parts of Karelia which they have lost, not like a counterattack to retake part of the Mannerheim line. Uh, this is like, we're going to drive the lot. Soviets out of Finland. Like, nah, they didn't go for baby steps. No. And it's, it's dumb to think that a Mannerheim thought this is going to be okay. Um, simply because like the key crux of his Mannerheim line bit rested on the fact they were going to lose a large portion of the Finnish countryside. Now he's going to take it back. But the line is here. We're holding it here. Let's just stay here. Yeah. There's nothing out there. <laughs> Literally nothing except swamps and landmines, which we planted. A we burned of, all the fucking villages and we killed all the crops. There's a lot of dead Soviets out there too. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to harvest the crops that we sown. Uh, now this uh, this all goes down to a guy named General Osterman, and by that I mean he's largely blamed for this, and he shouldn't be. Uh, he is one of a large amount of fuckwits whose brain went into the, the this this thing. Um, is he a fallback guy? Kind of, because he already fucked up once. Um, and he, it's because he was in charge of um, defending the border of Finland at the beginning of the war, which did not go well. Right. Because remember, why? There's nothing there. I don't think there, it would go well. There's no defensive lines. Uh, and he botched it. Um, now he was saved by the uh, the saving grace of of his own soldiers, um, but he came up with this plan, the, the the beginning stages of it. It was then expanded upon, and it was a counter attack against the Red Army dung in around Suma, uh, which, if you remember, is uh, the the same place that had repelled all the Soviet attacks from the last episode. Now, for this plan to work, the Finnish army would need to strike the Red Army before they could catch their breath from being repelled so many times and resupply from the losses that they had suffered. So he planned the attack to begin as soon as possible, December 22nd. Mm. Uh, now the problem is, uh, is Osterman was so disconnected from his own soldiers and army um, that many of the units that he tagged to like be the spearhead of this offensive were actively still fighting the Soviets. Really? Yeah. Uh, and, and like they had not broken contact with them. Like you want us to do what? <laughs> Uh, however, details never slowed a general down, and he forwarded this plan to Mannerheim, who said, fuck it, sure, why not? It's like, so no sure. communication? None. Okay. Now, uh, well, I guess. It, a lot of this bad communication can be chalked up to the fact that Finnish radios were just terrible throughout Garbage. the war. But, like, you could 
drive a fucking letter to him. Yeah, maybe a runner. Yeah. I mean, these are things that have existed as long as war. You would think you would want the best communications for launching an offensive. Oh. Especially as big as what they were doing. Hold on to that one. All right. <laughs> this is where I get to say, wait, it gets worse. Uh, the problem was Mannerheim signed off on the plan only 18 hours before it's due to begin. <laughs> now, uh, it, it should go without saying that uh, that gives frontline soldiers no time to prepare. It is now the year 2020. I'm not sure when you'll be listening to this, uh, but that is not a lot of time to start anything now. And that is with satellite communications, the fucking internet, cell phones. You can't really do anything in 18 hours for a large military mission. Uh uh, Mannerheim was also incredibly indecisive, which is something that kind of pops up whenever he has offensives to do. He's good at defensive stuff because he just kind of sits there and waits for stuff to happen. He right, move, right. shifts reserves around to plug holes, stuff like that. What a camper. All right. Um, he would randomly decide which units and which not to were to go. At, now, this is during the 18-hour window. So people are receiving orders like, you're, gonna do, you're going to go, you're not going to go. Then they'd immediately receive orders like, never mind, you're not going, and they're not sure... And he didn't timestamp anything. So nobody was... Which re- one's real? Right. He's like, fuck. And remember, like, the Russians have been spitting disinformation since, like, day <laughs> one. It's like, is one of these fucking Russian? Uh, and this led to uh, units, in one case, being uh, told two hours before the operation was to begin that they were supposed what? to go. Um, <laughs> now, that, as you can imagine, this made units, like, re- and, you know, there's um, stepping off points. They're not just going to start at the line. So like, oh, we're all going to muster here and then we're going to start the offensive. So they got to leave the, 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 the line, go to these muster points, which are already far away from some of these units because he didn't look at a fucking map or something. And um, so like, oh shit, we're going to miss the time to be at the, at, the, at the starting point. So they would just run to the starting point and leave all their heavy weapons behind because they couldn't fucking bring them. Oh my them. God. I mean, the, the good point is they didn't have a lot of heavy weapons to begin with, so they're kind of used to it. And Mannerheim is very much still uh, latched back onto World War One style combat of like strict timetables when everybody's supposed to be everywhere. Um, so it made his plans super convoluted and really hard to follow. Um, which leads me right to my next point. It was so complex and convoluted that nobody had any idea how to do it except Mannerheim, who was not there. Um, it was not considered realistic. Like even now, when you look at the plans in 2020, and you're like, the World War II army couldn't have pulled this off. But, and that's with like semi-modern communications. Um, in true World War I fashion, these detailed timetables overlapped with one another and also went back to artillery fire. So like, you know, by this time you're supposed to be here so the artillery doesn't fucking kill you. Stuff like that. He just seems like a hard guy to work for. <laughs> that would suck. Yeah, and and if, if you're saying like, wait, where are they all of a sudden going to get all these art- artillery? He didn't have it. He just planned for it anyway, because this is how he would plan an operation. Oh, oh yeah. I yeah. Do, we would definitely do this. Yeah, this plan required um, experience and flexible commanders, flexible and artillery, uh, and plentiful artillery support, and tanks. And then we'll bring in our air sets, and, assets here. And Finland didn't have any of those yeah. things. More importantly, they still hadn't fielded tanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the Finns had done almost no scouting or reconning of uh, Soviet positions, so they're just kind of like, well, they're probably over there. Just walk in that yeah, direction. Yeah, they're definitely. And then if that wasn't enough, Finland itself decided to join in and fuck with them by having a blinding snowstorm at that exact moment. Really? Yes. Uh, so units so stepped off. that didn't benefit them. It, it, it turns out Finns can't see in the snow. 
Um, because uh, they just stepped off and got lost. <laughs> like, it, it, and it's kind of hard to explain if you've never been in like a blinding snowstorm before. But you can totally get lost in them. Even if you're if you're walking in a straight line and can't see a foot in front of your face, you're not gonna be walking in a straight line for very long. I got lost in Japan going to the USO that was down the street from the barracks I was at. Was it snowing? Yeah, really bad. <laughs> so like there you to go. the point where it hurt my face. Now imagine, like you know, there's someone out there you're supposed to shoot somewhere, but I can't fucking see him. <laughs> Uh, now, and that is where I can say the Finns communication network completely broke down where it still functioned. Um, and now that is for a lot of reasons. It just couldn't handle the workload of a massive operation going on where you have, you know, a thousand different units all talking to each other at once. Um, and this, it, it meant that within like 30 minutes, people just couldn't talk to each other. Uh, and then within two hours of the beginning of the entire operation, before they'd even seen combat, they're still marching there. The generals had lost contact with their own commanders on oh, the ground. Geez. Yeah. Uh, when soldiers just decided to say, fuck it, and they're like, well, you know, the the forward commanders were just like, fuck it, we're going to go on our own. We'll, we'll just launch the, like, this is how we've done it so far. Yeah. Well, all the commanders will just get together and see how we can make this work. Um, it It didn't. <laughs> Uh, they found out their artillery had actually been issued the wrong size of ammunition, <laughs> which is impressive because they have so little of it. Yeah. You, th- you think it'd be easy to track down. So now they have no artillery support either. They're like, oh, fuck this. <laughs> uh, by 3 p.m., Finnish command knew the operation was totally lost and ordered a retreat, which they should have done uh, maybe sooner, but they did order a retreat. They didn't like throw a whole bunch of people into the meat grinder and like, hmm, lost a division, time to call it. Um, but the good news is none of that mattered. Local commanders had actually retreated hours before. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> and, and yeah, well, on and the fly. I had no idea. Uh, they're like, yeah, it's time for us to be hitting the old uh, dusty trail back to the Mannerheim line. And thus ended the glorious Finnish counterattack. Was, <laughs> That's honestly the best counterattack ever. <laughs> they counterattacked a blizzard and somehow, like, they barely even fought anybody. <laughs> but that did not mean uh, now th- this this fucking hilarious failure failure did not mean the Finns were done winning up until now they had not really won anything they had simply not been beaten which is like getting a draw in the fucking That's NFL what it sounds like yeah it's like getting a draw in the NFL which I'm still not entirely sh- like that happens like once a season like well we didn't lose we're still here <laughs> yeah. um uh, the main Finnish sl- supplier out the one that had been planned in uh, can to use like this is this is the spine of the entire resistance like if, if this collapses defense is not going to stay long um it, it supplied the entire isthmus theater it was the tola yarvi road and it the soviets knew what this road was used for even their half-blind dumbasses could figure out like hmm, they're getting all their ammo from this one fucking road <laughs> uh so their plan to cut it off uh, which would have definitely strangled that entire section of the Mannerheim line now, like mo- most defenders of Finland at the time, the unit opposing the Soviets had largely been slapped together of various different soldiers with various different jobs and unmatching equipment. Um, things had been so rushed that a bicycle battalion, dudes literally what? on pedal bikes. Yes. Were, uh, now, those were, now I, I do need to say those were not uncommon at the time. That's still awesome. Um, like, uh, uh, like the Germans used a ton of bicycles uh, in the war. The and British like had that. a paratrooper version that folded. Yeah, and, and bikes are pretty common, but it's important to remember, it's winter in Finland. They can't fucking ride anywhere. They're supposed to get skis. They never got them, so they're the first to ride their pedal bikes through snow so deep that it was just eating their bike all the way to their position because they weren't allowed to leave their bikes behind. <laughs> like, where the fuck are we going to use them? <laughs> Which is like how... Like, <laughs> for dismount. <laughs> 
Just imagine someone with a bike tattoo, like a, a sh- like, and it's a shitty 1930s bike with a wreath around it, combat bicycle badge. Um, That's fucking awesome. That, that that just shows you that armies, no matter what country or what time they're from, will always be armies. Like, can we use these bikes? No. But we have them. But we have them. We're signed for them. We can't just ditch them. Like, you're gonna make us carry these bikes all the way to the east. Like, no, we're going to ride them. There is four feet of snow on the ground. Which fuck it, fine. Get my steed. <laughs> it's a sh- it's ding, a huffy. Ding, ding. Combat huffies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they were forced to ride to their position uh, because they had not been switched out for skis. <laughs> uh, which is impressive because it's like the one thing Finland was really good at. I at hope the, the commander was super motto like into the whole bicycle battalion. You know he like, had uh, like he was the the Lance Armstrong of Finland or something in his day. His always, calves were the size of his thighs. Hello, <laughs> and then they're just like going at like a snail's pace. It, it's like how people attempt to carry over um, cavalry traditions yeah. to armor and helicopters and shit now. Except he uh, Finland didn't have tanks yet, so he's like, I guess some bike cav. <laughs> um, now the defense is further hampered by a guy named Lieutenant Rasnus Rasnusen. Um, who was the commander of that entire sector of the defense. He had no grasp of the situation and instead remained safely in a bunker six miles away from the fighting and no working radio. What the fuck was he doing? Sitting there. <laughs> He's just sitting there like... He's fucking scrolling through Grinder or something. I don't know. Like he, he just had no... Uh, he, they Like most sectors of, of the Finnish command, their officers were generally kind of shit. So the soldiers were just like, eh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> What were you doing in the bunker? I was looking towards where my men were fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you don't even have a set of binoculars. Hmm. But alas. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, the main thing working in the Finns' favor was actually the Soviets themselves. They had moved incredibly slowly and uh, stopped wherever they met resistance, kind of like they had thus far. Like, oh, we got shot at. Time to stop. Uh, like, in one instance, uh, a single machine gun uh, which was a World War One Maxim machine gun, uh, held up an entire Soviet division for an hour. Makes and sense. even then, they still couldn't figure out how to take it out. The machine gunner simply ran out of ammo, so he picked up his... He displaced his machine gun and walked back to the rest of his unit. <laughs> He's like, well, that's done with. <laughs> well, that'd be going to beat my friends. <laughs> like, imagine being the, the Soviet that takes the position, like, we did it, sir, we took it. Oh, where's the machine gunner? Oh, he left hours ago, but we took it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look at all the trails he left. <laughs> uh, but through sheer force of numbers, the Finns were eventually pushed back from one delaying position to another because what do you, what the fuck are you going to do with that, with one division with no commander? Um, in one case, the Soviets nearly encircled their fi- the Finns, but the but their flanking maneuver was not only checked, but completely routed by a unit made up of supply clerks, radiomen, and cooks. Yes. Now, this gets even in- more interesting. These, these un- uh, this unit made up of non-combat soldiers dubbed, were, was dubbed the Special Battalion 112. Um, and it became the linchpin of the entire defense. Really? Going so far as to hold a near-suicidal rear guard action to allow the entire uh, their entire army to escape on several occasions. What? <laughs> they said, hey, get them in here. Call them in. It, it's like that scene from uh, from 300 where, like, what's your job? Like, I'm a typist. What's your job? I'm a cook. Except then they just team up and beat the shit out of the Spartans. Like, Fuck you, bitch. <laughs> Like, and that that battalion was like 
uh, uh, like later on in the defense and one of the biggest battles uh, called the Battle of Kola uh, uh, through the war. Like whenever they needed uh, a unit to like lean on, like get one one two, and it's like they're putting on their ladles and and pens and everything. I imagine one one two is probably sick of it. Like, this is fucking horse <laughs> why, shit. Why can't the infantry do this <laughs> shit? <laughs> Yeah, and so you got a whole bunch Where's of... Where's the bike battalion? <laughs> well, like, the supply cooks were pushed into it because... Uh, uh, or the supply clerks were pushed into the the battalion because uh, one of their commanders was like, well, we don't have any supplies, so... <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I'm just saying... Your job doesn't exist. If we had supplies, they would be in this room. <laughs> yeah. um, this is our supply room. It's empty. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, I've taken full inventory. We have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Would you, ha- you have to sign for this also, sir. We're having sleep for dinner. Yes. Uh, you have to sign for the space. But uh, none of this mattered in the end. Uh, the defenders were tired, terrified, and falling apart. Uh, they'd been fighting not a nonstop withdrawal action for 40 miles without rest. In the middle of the Finnish winter, and the champion of their army is a whole bunch of typists and cooks. And like, I like to imagine, uh, and this did not happen. The bicycle battalion did not come to the rescue. No, because the bicycle battalion is still like, like ten miles just off of HQ. They're just like, (laughs) mom, a chain's off the chain. I I need the I need very small tire chains uh, for my for my shitty 1930s bike. I like to imagine it's like from uh, the second. the two towers, Lord of the Rings, two towers, where uh, uh, Gandalf and all the the the, 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 the Cav guys come over the tower, uh, over the the edge. Except to hear, instead of hearing Gandalf and a whole bunch of uh, knights, you hear bling 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 bling, and, and a whole bunch of fans <laughs> yeah. just pedaling towards you. Um, now, uh, Mannerheim not only decided uh, to commit Finland's reserves into that battle to hold that part. Uh, he decided to command them personally, which normally is like, oh man, Mannerheim's commanding, but it's like, oh man, Mannerheim's commanding. He's not actually that good at this. <laughs> Usually when you have an officer on the battlefield, your men's morale go up per the video games, like, uh, you know, Company of Heroes. Yeah, and to- it's like Total War. Yeah. If, if, if someone would have shot Mannerheim, they actually just start running around in circles and giant <laughs> yeah. white flags starts bouncing up and down over their heads. Uh, now, when I say f- uh, Finland's reserves, I mean it. Uh, the entire army only had two divisions in reserve, and even those were kind of sketchy. Most of them were barely trained, or not at all. And in one case, it was a uh, a bunch of quartermasters pressed into combat because Finland's again had no supplies left for them to quartermaster anymore. <laughs> um, and these guys, um, now the book uh, Frozen Hell kind of puts out that it's kind of different. Like you know, nowadays everybody qualifies with a rifle. Every every single soldier's rifleman or whatever. Not so much there. They really didn't shoot, uh, so they, w- they didn't want to waste the ammo. Yeah, uh, they just didn't have it. Uh, the quartermaster's like, I would shoot, but as you can see, I have no ammo. <laughs> yeah, uh, but like they hadn't trained at all. They didn't have any like small unit tactics. They weren't familiar really with a rifle unless they hunted. Uh, they're like, here's a rifle. Walk that way. <laughs> Fuck. What's your weapon, soldier? I made a bolo. <laughs> uh, what weapon did you bring to the front line? Uh, I have a large desk full of paperwork I brought with me, uh, but I can ruin your life with it. But also no paper. Yeah. <laughs> it's some finance guy. He's like, I'd pay you guys, but we have no money either. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, Mannerheim knew for, for this work, he would need commanders who were ballsy. Um, but uh, not just ballsy, kind of insane. 
and like to the point that he's going to give them orders to to lead these reserves and kind of save Finland because Man. it if this line fails um it gives them a, a complete backdoor to the Bannerheim line they'd have to abandon everything and they'd have to fight in the interior of Finland which is that means they're fucked uh so he knew for this to work to kind of stabilize this line he was going to have to have people who were just were not right in the head and it it should say they listen to insane in the membrane all the time. Uh, it's it, it should say how what or what he thought of them because they their names immediately jumped to mind. He's like, I need some fucking nuts people. I know two of them. Uh, <laughs> because he's going to order them to launch an all-out attack despite being outnumbered ten to one with no tanks or air support and only a single battalion of artillery support between them and only enough ammo for that artillery for about three hours. How would you pitch that to this guy? Would you like to die? Done. <laughs> Please have been waiting for this moment. Yeah. Uh, how, how would you like to lead thousands of people to their death? And also, you're probably going to die too. Perfect. Yes. Uh, he found one of those generals, a guy named Voldemar Hogland, and another one named Colonel Pavlo Tavella. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Tavella a little bit more because Tavella's probably one of the coolest officers in this entire war, not oh. named Simeo Hayek. Uh, so they looked at the plan, shrugged, and said, fuck it, let's roll. Because there's really not much else to do. They know they couldn't plan some in-depth operation because they can't talk to one another. Um, they can't plan some kind of slow, creeping advance because they have no artillery or air cover. So like, I guess we just got to run at them. Now, as Mannerheim's relief sped towards the last positions around Tola Yarvi Road, they were shocked to find that the unit um, that was still there and refusing to budge was a group of working classmen from the factory and villages that had been known as a hotbed of left-wing politics or towards the Civil War. Uh, and actually, one of those guys um, uh, from the Red Villages uh, is what they're generally known as, um, said that he was fucking pissed when he saw uh, Mannerheim um, because a lot of people had like really hoped he would get killed. Wow. Uh, because remember, he led the white terror, probably killed their family members. Yeah. And it, and one of them jokes like, well, I guess it's a good thing that he survived the Civil War now, but fuck him anyway. <laughs> yeah, like just because I respect him doesn't mean I have to like yeah. him. Um, in the middle of the night, uh, Tavella sent his men across a frozen lake on skis, uh, and they decided because remember the Soviets don't like to attack at night; they don't like to do anything at night to I don't include like to do anything at doing night. defensive stuff yeah, or taking out the trash. So or like getting up to pee, just pee in a bottle, eat it out the window. Done. Yeah. Uh, so Tavella knew that if they were going to fight the Soviets, uh, we got to kind of fight them at night, which sucks for us too, but whatever. So he led these men on skis across a frozen lake. Um, now, uh, there's also various parts where some men fell into the lake because remember, it's night, they can't see very well, yeah. and they assumed it was frozen over completely, and it wasn't. So, like, whoopsie doodle, guy froze oh, to death. Sucks. Yeah. And the, on the bright side, it's so cold, you die within seconds. So, yeah, sweet release happens rather quickly. God, that's cold. Now, Tavella actually meant to lead this attack himself, but he finally listened to his officers who told him that it was a bad idea uh, because he had done that before and had been gruesomely wounded and was not actually all the way healed yet, uh, but that never slowed him down before. Uh, now, Red Army soldiers were held up on the other side of the frozen lake, and um, they kind of had a, a, a thing. And, the, and Tavella knew the Soviets really liked bonfires. And not just like what we think of when we think of bonfires. They would topple full trees that were like dozens of feet tall and build these giant bonfires, fucking huge bonfires for, 
fires you could see for a mile away and entire battalions would lay down and sleep next to them. So like you could, uh, Tavella and his unit knew if you looked at the Soviet camp, if you saw a bonfire, you knew there'd be hundreds of people around it. And they didn't post pickets. Wow. Like, at all. It must be warm. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah. Um, so as the Red Army uh, created all these bonfires with their men surrounding it, um, they, I mean, because remember, they had just been driving the Finns back for 40 fucking miles. Why would they be attacking us? And it tuckers you out. Yeah. Um, they didn't even think to put guards in place because they thought the Finns were completely defeated. Um, so using the high ground around these bonfires, the single company of Finns spread out. Um, and that is when at 2 a.m., a single Finnish company ambushed an entire Red Army regiment. After three or four minutes of shooting, the Finns withdrew. Not because that they were done or out of ammo. They simply couldn't see any more targets still moving. Oh, God. <laughs> They're like, oh, guess where I shit to shoot. Let's go home, boys. <laughs> Ski away. Now, r- responding Red Army, it's because remember, this is a huge, this is multiple different divisions. Heard shooting and they rushed to see what was happening. So did divisions from other directions uh, to see what's happening. When they ran into each other, they were so confused, they started shooting oh my each God, other. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why I pictured that. I was like, I feel like something. Uh, they became locked in a firefight with one another, killing an entire other battalion. Jesus. And this continued on for about four hours. <laughs> so the Finns escaped over the lake. <laughs> They're just They're watching. Like, Is there another unit over there? Like, nah. It was just us. <laughs> Now, the raiders retreated over the, over the lake, and their only casualty during the entire operation was their commander, who, after running nonstop through two days of fighting, had finally collapsed from exhaustion and had to go to the medic. Wow. <laughs> just as Tavella was about to order an all-out attack against the, the Soviets, who just did a really good job of killing themselves, the Soviets had a surprise of their own. A battalion seemingly out of nowhere appeared out of the woods, right behind them, and attacked Tavella's rear. Oh. Now, this is where the Finns kept their field kitchens and supplies and really didn't have any pickets set up because, like, how the fuck would they get through here? The Soviets never snuck up on us before. Well, they did. Uh, so they're like, oh, it's just a whole bunch of really confused cooks, and they panic and run um, because it's not those 112 cooks who yeah. like, just start stabbing <laughs> people to death insane. with ladles and shit. Yeah. Uh, the Soviets quickly routed those troops who ran for their lives. And then something so dumb it happened, so dumb happened, it could only happen to the Red Army. They started turning on each other? Not quite. The soldiers advanced they got to the field kitchens that had been abandoned. Finding the cooks had left a hot sausage soup on the fire. The Soviets, the entire unit of Soviets, stopped and began to eat the yes. soup. <laughs> they all got in a single yeah. file line. <laughs> the, the Finns were so confused they thought it was some kind of trap. Until they're like, nope, they're really dumb. (laughs) And got their guns and launched a counterattack and drove off the hungry soldiers. That's right. The Red Army was so fucking stupid, it was defeated by soup. Now, this incident was dumb. It must have smelled good. It had to have smelled good for them to go, hold on, hold on. What's that smell? Like, they're still with an eye shot of Finnish soldiers. And like, that that soup, though. (laughs) Have you ever smelled something that good, though? I haven't. I, there's no way I have to like risk bodily harm to go get a bowl of soup. Uh, now, this incident was dubbed the Sausage War <laughs> and killed at least 100 people. Holy shit. <laughs> now, after the heroics of the finished soup, Tavella did launch his counterattack. <laughs> 
We award the soup. Plum just drops the metal in there. Hero of the Finnish Republic. Bloop. <laughs> Somebody get that soup out of here. It smelled kind of bad. Yeah, well, it's been around for like four months now. Uh, it's that's sergeant sausage soup to you. Yeah, he's real crusty these days. Over the next several days, Finnish losses were so bad that Mannerheim was appalled and wanted to call off the offensive, but Tavella would not let him, saying correctly that if they did not check the Soviets' advance, their main supplier out, and the entire war would be lost. Mannerheim allowed him to continue, and continue he did. Tavella didn't break the Soviet line or send them running back across the border, but he did force them back to where the offensive began 40 miles ago, using a single understrength and battered Finnish division and put 10 Red Army divisions in their place. Not only did Tavella save the supplier out, the entire front would only see limited fighting for the rest of the war. Wow. And yeah. Thanks a lot, Soup. Yeah. <laughs> now. We're going to go to a different battle, and it's one of the more legendary of the entire war. Uh, Every war has a decisive moment or a moment that becomes enshrined in legend to the point you're not entirely sure what is fact and what is fiction at that point. In World War I, it was arguably Robert Novell's They Shall Not Pass at Verdun. In World War II, it was Stalin's Not One Step Back at Stalingrad. For Finns, during the Winter War, it was the Battle of Kola or the Kola Front. The battle had actually begun slowly unfolding since the war had begun, but not in the way that you would assume as such a heroic battle would have played out. The Finns had been getting their heads kicked in clear across the large swath of Finland. It wasn't from a lack of trying, however. The officer, the officers put um, in charge of this mess, uh, Tietanen, was forced into battle so quickly that most of his men did not have weapons or skis and making even the concept of movement difficult for them, let alone to fight when they got there. Tietanen knew that uh, that his, his cause was a lost one, but sometimes literally shoved his soldiers into battle and physically stopped them from running away as he stalked up and down the front line. His soldiers were raw, and they were introduced to Soviet armor by watching a sister unit break at the mere mention of them. Like a scout came back and was like, tanks! And like, fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> uh... Now, this actually had the surprising effect of stealing them against further Soviet attacks because they're like, well, we don't want to be like them, which is like, sure, okay, that's that's one way to get motivated to stand in the face of a fucking tank assault. Very true. And, and it, moreover, it made the entire line swear they, would go, they wouldn't go down without a fight because they didn't want to look that bad again. So like, yeah, it kind of worked out. How do you do stuff without half your men with weapons, some without skis? I mean, uh, a lot of them were the tank killer squads where they would run oh, out yeah, and, and firebomb them. them. Yeah, just Or die. like jam logs in their in their tracks. Stuff like that. And, tubing battalion. <laughs> and there's a lot of cases where like a reserve would be held back until somebody got wounded or killed. They just pass off the rifle to them. So now just imagine waiting in a reserve trench and like, what are you waiting for? Oh, waiting for somebody to die so we can have their gun. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a cook, so. <laughs> yeah. But no matter what he did, the sheer amount of Soviet soldiers slowly forced them back until finally, his back literally against the wall, they came to a bend in the Kola River. This is the last defensible position between them and the entire rear of the Finnish main army. If they broke, the Soviet army could stream into Finland proper and encircle the rest of the Finnish forces at the Mannerheim line. The war literally depended on these men holding. Unlike other parts of the border battles, 
and uh, the the fighting on the line, there was no shocking raids or daring maneuvers to break this battle open. There was no nighttime ski borne assault across frozen lakes. Uh, both sides settle in for a grinding war of attrition that looked like something you'd see in World War One. And because this was not a prepared position, because remember, they didn't plan on falling back that far, right. the Finnish soldiers had to dig into the granite-hard frozen soil in between fighting off Soviet human wave attacks or hours-long artillery b- bombardments. It's, oh, it sucks. Uh, the Red Army poured over 40,000 shells into the Finns a day for months, while the Finns could only match that with about 1,000 on a good day. And remember, they don't have anywhere to hide. I can't imagine doing any of that, you know cold you you probably can't feel much of anything at this no. point you're just so numb yeah uh after fighting this for two weeks Mannerheim finally sent in the the sent in reserves and more artillery support in the form of two cannons from 1871 i imagine seeing that they're like look at all those cannons <laughs> two of them <laughs> holy like imagine seeing like the the artillery crewman come like hey we brought artillery it was like Oh, thank God. And they see, like, these fucking muzzle-loading cannons. Like, oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. They actually had to make the ammo themselves. Like how Mel Gibson made his ammo? Yeah, kinda. (laughs) And, like, none of these guys are scientists. uh, So I'm willing to bet there's a whole lot of failure before success finally came. Like, what happened? Oh, there was a third cannon, but Smith killed himself, so. Tried throwing a whole tree into it. (laughs) See if we could launch it like a harpoon. Uh, there was a Mythbusters where they made a tree into a cannon. They should have tried that. Mm. Yeah. They had a lot of trees in Finland. So. Yeah. One of the Finnish positions earned the name Killer Hill, which I assume sounds way more badass than Finnish, uh, because one day the Russians charged up it with a force of 4,000 men. Opposing them was 32 Finns. Oh, God. At the end of the battle, the Finns held the hill with four men left standing. And oh, f- God. <laughs> And in front of them was 400 dead or dying Soviets. Afterward, the Finns made sure to go through, take all their ammo, and execute the wounded. <laughs> they were pretty mad after that one. Yeah, there's four <laughs> left. Yeah, there, there's there's not a lot of incidences that I've seen where the Finns are like, fuck it, let's just kill the wounded, but that's one of them. <laughs> Most of the time, they'd actually patch them up and send them back to the Soviets. Just <laughs> like, like a little kid, like, all right, go on, on the butt. Daddy. Yeah. Well, they didn't want to keep POWs because they had a hard enough time like supplying their army. Like The last thing we need is fucking tens of thousands of Soviet POWs. So uh, just send them back. Also, they kind of knew that the POWs they sent back were going to be executed. So like, yeah, they're going to die anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, uh, one weapon that the Finns had the Soviets could never dream of was not a, a gun or a cannon or a tank or a plane. It was pride. Finnish it was, pride. It was a man. Oh, okay. A man who stood five feet tall and weighed only slightly above 100 pounds. He is a man who has probably killed more people with his own hands than anyone else in human history. And that is the White Death, Simeo Haiha. Is he really only five foot? Yes, he was about as tall as his gun. Wow. <laughs> when you see a picture of him, his, he's about the same size of his rifle. That's awesome. <laughs> Which I guess really works for him. Yeah, it's really easy compact. to hide. Yeah. yeah. Now, Haiha was born in a small village near the Russian border and spent his early life hunting, farming, and doing other villager stuff. Yeah, you know, small uh, village, small guy. Yeah. Um, when he was 21, he enlisted in the White Guard and won just about every shooting award that they could throw at him. But he was always really shy and socially awkward. In his early life, whenever you saw a picture of him, he'd always be in the very back, kind of hiding behind somebody else, which I identify with strongly. <laughs> um, 
And this is even when he was the champion. Like he would like be behind a large group of people and you just see the trophy being held up. <laughs> You'd see the number one podium, but he's not on it. <laughs> he's just sitting behind it. Yeah. Uh, when the war began, he quickly transferred to the Finnish regular army and was sent off to the Kola front. And it was there he spent the entire war. Now, when you think of snipers, you generally think of a shooter and a spotter, right? Or a group of snipers working together. Hi-Ha wasn't down for that shit. Instead, he went out alone. Lone wolf. Uh, now, this is practical. Um, he was used to hunting. He never worked with anybody else. Also, it made him a lot easier to evade Soviet eyes because he's really small and he's yeah. really good. At, it's much easier to hide one person than two. Especially with his height. Also, he was fighting in the unfathomably cold Finnish wilderness in the dead of winter. It was a climate so cold that glass would fog up and ice almost immediately if it got wet, which meant he didn't use a scope ever. That makes sense. Um, also, he um, it, it, he never had used one before, like when he went hunting. And Hi-Ha preferred it this way because it requ- if you use a scope, it requires you to lift your head up and prov- uh, show a bigger target. So uh, everything he did was practical. Uh, if it is batshit insane, it makes sense. Um, Hi-Ha had other tricks as well. He would bury the barrel of his weapon in the snow. So when it fired it, there'd be no muzzle flash. Um, also, because it would be so cool... Only steam would rise up and not smoke from firing it. Ooh. Um, and it, it, it's harder to see at a distance. Also, he'd put snow in his mouth so his, uh, so uh, he couldn't see his breath in the, in the middle of the day. This fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. He terrified the Soviets so much they give, they give him the nickname White Death. And the mere mention of his name, like someone's like, I hear the White Death's operating in this area, was an entire company's running. Really? Yeah, they're like, fuck this. I'm not fighting him. I wouldn't want to either. At his peak, he killed 25 men in a single day. But he averaged a measly five. Oh, yeah. Uh, he did this every single day for 98 days straight. Today I'm on a slump. Only got five. Yeah, and uh, like the Soviets went out of their way to try to kill this guy. Uh, like if somebody said like, hey, there's a sniper over there and I think it might be him because, you know, we don't see a scope. We don't see anything. They would bombard the entire area with artillery. <laughs> like just try that's to just try to fucking smoke him out. That's insane. And this doesn't even uh, account for the time he wasn't sniping because occasionally he picked up a submachine gun and led raids against the Soviets with other men. According to official Finnish army doc, uh, documentation, he sniped 259 men and killed probably about as many with his submachine gun. Though other sources claim that he killed well over 800. Uh, they just weren't all documented because he didn't take time to stop. Guy's a badass. Haya himself never talked about his kill count or really about the war publicly. Uh, but after his death, historians found his diary, which he did talk about the people he killed a lot more openly. And he thinks he probably killed around 500 people with his rifle alone. Jesus. And I'm willing to believe him. I would too. I mean, from a guy this humble, I see no reason to believe that he's inflating those numbers. Yeah. You know those uh, those old stories where like, oh yeah, every kill, a, a nick on the rifle, like little scratch. You think all his whole rifle would be scratched? Like, it was just fucking like bare wood. I accidentally cut off the buttstock. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah um, I don't think he did much of anything like that. Like, I don't oh, know. I guarantee you he didn't. Like, but if he did. <laughs> if Samuel Aya started a coffee brand and an apparel shirt or a shirt line. Yeah. Uh, all this from a man who's roughly the same size as the rifle he was using. Uh, but he was also not a psychopath. He didn't even particularly hate the Soviets. And one occasion, a soldier surrendered himself to Hi-Ha after he shot the man next to him. He's like, whoa, fuck this. 
instead of just finishing him off, which would largely be normal for a sniper, Hi-Ha brought the prisoner to a Finnish army tent where he and several other soldiers got drunk and partied through the night. Hi-Ha was apparently so friendly that the Soviet was pretty bummed when he got sent back to his own line the oh, next morning. Oh, what the fuck? That's badass. <laughs> Dude, I thought we were bros. Yeah. You can't send me back. I'll fight with you guys. Come on. <laughs> What's funny is like that was in his diary. He never really told anybody about That's it. Fucking awesome. <laughs> now, it, what's even weirder is the man that they partied with was also a legend in the Finnish army, known as the Terror of Morocco. Not because of anything horrible that he did. He had simply previously been a French foreign legionnaire in service in Morocco. Uh, okay. Uh, he was uh, none uh, none other than Lieutenant Artie Jutlatenen, uh, a man who had coined the rallying cry of the Finnish side uh, at the Battle of Kola. When de- when derisively asked by a general if Cola would be able to hold, Arnie remarked with a smile that Cola will hold unless you give us orders to run. Thus, bor- uh, birthing the rallying cry, Cola holds, which is legendary I'm to a this real day. Pepsi Cola vibe here. <laughs> yeah, it's the Pepsi's on the front. The Pepsi Navy always holds. <laughs> um, unfortunately for Hi Hi, he was not bulletproof. And one day, one of the dozens of snipers that the Soviets sent out hunting for him found his mark. He was shot. He was shot in the face with an explosive bullet, oh. which pretty much blew away half of his head. But he survived. Do <laughs> <laughs> you think he's like, you got me? <laughs> You got me. It's like when you play paintball, he's put his hands out (laughs) and like just picked up his blown off jaw and walked away. Uh, He awoke from his coma the same day the war ended on 13 March, 1940. Uh, Yeah. And he like went out hunting with the prime minister and shit after he recovered. But like half his face is fucking gone. He He died like in the last 20 years. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That dude's awesome. He died in 2002 at the age of 96. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Hi-Hi himself would go on to be something of a military legend in fin- Finland, as you would imagine. But he never spoke about the war in detail. That dude's cool. Um, when he was asked how he killed so many people, he said simply, quote, I only did as I was told to do, and I did it as well as I could. He ended up living longer than the Soviet Union. <laughs> uh, so maybe like as he was on his deathbed, he's like, one last shot and he fired and the entire USSR fell apart. (laughs) Uh, And that's where we'll leave you for this week. Next week, we will talk about General Haglund and his legendary Mahdi and the end of the war. Finally. Yep. Uh, The end of the war, part five. I made it. I told myself I would do five. I made it five, not fucking 26 or whatever the fuck else. Um, And to be fair, this is a really short war. Only lasted a couple months. Uh, so there's more episodes than months to this war. <laughs> My bad, y'all. Uh, but thank you for joining us this week. Uh, stay tuned to next week to the conclusion of this, because why would you stop at number four, you fucking mad person? Uh, thank you for supporting the show, and uh, we will see you next week. <laughs>